When we nurture and nourish a relationship with the Holy Spirit, we come to Him in full submission and surrender and say, Father, I can't deal with this anymore. I am handing it over to you. I need again to feel and sense your love and joy and peace. Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. Today we come to our final study in this brief series on the Holy Spirit, and we're turning to Galatians chapter 5 this morning. Galatians chapter 5, reading from verses 16 to 25. Galatians 5, 16 to 25. The Apostle Paul is writing to a group of churches in the region of Galatia, and he's writing around the years 49 to 55 AD. And as he moves towards the end of the epistle, he summarizes the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit. So Galatians 5, page 18, excuse me, I had it a second ago, 1815 of the Church Pew Bible. Chapter 5, verse 16. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Amen, and we trust that God will bless to us is reading from His Holy Word. Three times in our life, we as a family have moved house. I think our experience is pretty similar to most people, that when you're moving your entire house, it is a long and complex and difficult process. And it's a difficult process for this reason. Every room you go into each time you open a cupboard or a set of drawers or go into the kitchen, you will pick something up and ask yourself the same question. Will I need this where I'm going? And in most households, there is some mild disagreement about whether we will need this or not. And mum has her pile of stuff, and dad has his pile of stuff, and the children have their piles of stuff, and yes, we will definitely need that. 
And I suspect that each evening when most are in bed, some sneak downstairs and start shuffling around the piles that we're going to take. Because consciously and subconsciously, we have the same question. Will we really need this? And my prayer and hope and trust this morning as we come to this final message on the Holy Spirit and look at the fruits of the Spirit is to ask ourselves a similar question. When the Holy Spirit indwells us in all His power, there will be significant moments in our life when we hear Him speaking to us clearly and He asks this question, do you still need this for where you're going? That's our theme this morning as we look at the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Come with me then and look at verse 1. Excuse me, at verse 16, the first of our verses this morning. And Paul writing <clears throat> to the churches at Galatia, only six chapters in the book of Galatians, the importance of the book far exceeds its size. Paul's writing in an energized, feisty, direct manner. There's a great deal at stake here, and he wants to cultivate and nourish the relationship that the Galatians have with the Holy Spirit. And so he writes verses 16 through 18, and they're almost identical to a study we had two weeks ago. So I don't want to spend a lot of time on it because we've already covered that ground, and I want to spend the bulk of our time looking at the fruits of the Spirit. But look at verse 16 again. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other. Now, hold that thought, and we'll come back there. Over these last five or six Sundays together, I've been seeking on each occasion that we've studied the Holy Spirit to say the same thing at least once in each study. And that's a deliberate policy on my behalf so that when we complete a study, you will come away with one message running through your mind. And in these Sundays together, the point I've been seeking to make again and again is this. Now, when the Holy Spirit comes to indwell the life of the individual. And please hear this. We studied it at length our first Sunday together in Pentecost. When an individual puts their trust and faith in the risen Christ, the Holy Spirit of God Himself comes to indwell that individual. And we have living within us the same moral and supernatural power that raised Christ from the dead lives in us. Isn't that a remarkable thing? That's the clear teaching and testimony of the Scriptures, that the same moral and supernatural power that rose Jesus from the dead lives within us us. And that's why Jesus said to the disciples, do not leave Jerusalem until the 
power of the Holy Spirit lives within you. And right here in Galatians 5, when Paul is describing the fruits of the Spirit, and you will see this in a moment, what he's saying to them is this, that even though the Holy Spirit dwells within you, and you have the power of God at work in your life, your old life, that old sinful nature will continue to seek to draw you back again and again and again and again, and they are in conflict with each other. And what Paul is saying here is this, that when you cultivate and nurture and nourish your relationship with the Holy Spirit, you no longer have to live the way you used to live. You can firmly put it behind you. And that's where we'll end up in our study this morning, as that's where he ends up in the passage. And so he says there's conflict going on in your life. And having made that point, he goes on in great detail, verses 19 through 21, to highlight the acts of the sinful nature. And we've touched on them enough in recent Sundays. I want to jump forward to the latter section, to verse 22 and following. And having outlined for them typically what the sinful nature calls us to become involved with, in other words, he's saying for all of its enticement, for all of its attraction, for all of its wooing and insisting, he says, but, and this is one of the great passages in Scripture, but the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, what He nourishes inside you, what He cultivates inside you, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When the Holy Spirit comes to live in a person's life at the point when they repent of their sins and believe in Christ, the Holy Spirit's number one task, His number one priority, is to make us more Christ-like in every area of our lives, not just the spiritual realm, but in every single area of our lives. And in fact, the work of the Spirit is utterly comprehensive in every single area of your life, especially those deep, dark, secretive recesses that only God Himself can see. Because the Holy Spirit knows and understands this, that holiness of lifestyle and godly living cannot be reserved for one area of our lives, but has to run throughout our lives. And that's the point he's making when he begins this list of the fruits of the Spirit. There are significant ways of dividing up the fruits of the Spirit, but this morning, for the sake of clarity, I've broken them down into three sections of three fruits. And the first section is a relationship with God Himself. It's that upward, that vertical relationship. And so he begins with love, joy, and peace. And what the new Christian understands 
And what the Christian who's walked a Christian road for 50 years also understands is this, that we have a love for God as a Christian person. We fall in love with Him. I would have to say there are probably 12, 16 people in my entire life that I have fallen in love with. Ruth, of course, our son Michael, my mother, my brother, sisters, really good close friends whom I love deeply. I know lots and lots of folks I hold in high regard. I think the world of them. But if you really had to back me up into a corner and say, do you really love them? Oh, I'd be uncertain. And here is why I would be uncertain. When you grow up in Scotland in the northwest corner of Europe, you don't express your feelings too readily. That's why most of us are Presbyterian in Scotland. And we don't say to someone, I love you, unless we mean it. Now, you and I both know that there has been a major cultural shift for me moving to the south, when you hug everything that moves. (laughs) But what Paul is saying here is this, that when you fall in love with God, and His Spirit indwells your heart and soul, you enter into a love relationship with Him. It's not that you hold Him in high regard. It's not that you have great admiration for those who are Christians, although you may have, but the number one event in our life, the relationship that is right at the top of our list, is that we love Him, not because we first loved Him, but He first loved us. And when everything else is said and done, as Christian people, we know this, He loves us exhaustively, comprehensively, eternally, infinitely, and He will never, ever, ever give up on us. That's the first fruit of the Holy Spirit. That's the bedrock upon which everything else is established and predicated. He loves us. That's the first fruit of the Holy Spirit. That begins that vertical relationship of love and grace and thankfulness begins with love. And then he moves to joy and peace. Now, once again, let me make an illustration. Those of you with a Baptist background will be saying, Richard, I've been worshiping here for the last eight to ten, fourteen months and I don't see much joy in Presbyterians. I just don't see it. And I have to let you know that for Presbyterians, our joy is deep. Really, really deep. You've got to look very closely in order to see it. The joy of the Christian is deep, and it's eternal. And it's like 
The other fruit of the Spirit in that upward relationship is love, joy, and peace. And if our joy and peace are related to the circumstances of our lives, we will lose it. But if our joy and peace is firmly in our relationship with the love of God, we can never lose it. Even when we go through dark days, even when we find ourselves walking the floor at two and three in the morning, worried about a contract or a member of family or a health issue, and it seems as if everything is falling apart around us, the love and joy and peace of Christ is still there for us. And when we nurture and nourish a relationship with the Holy Spirit, we come to Him in full submission and surrender and say, Father, I can't deal with this anymore. I am handing it over to You. I need again to feel and sense Your love and joy and peace. Enable me strengthen me. Give me the courage I need for this day. Walk with me. And that's the point when you will begin to feel and sense the Holy Spirit at work, holding you close, putting His arms around you, whispering in your ear, I understand and I know you cannot see it yet, but I am molding you and shaping you to be more Christ-like so others will see in you the fruit of our relationship. That's what's going on here. And so that first relationship of love, joy, and peace begins and becomes the bedrock for everything else. The apostle doesn't stop there if he's talking about a Godward relationship initially, then he moves to an outward relationship with those around us. Patience, kindness, goodness. Let me ask for a quick survey this morning. Inquire, please help us, because if you begin, the congregation will help. So, I'll try and get over here so I can keep one eye on you and one eye on the congregation please raise your hands if you enjoy being patient. Who enjoys being patient? Let me see, congregation. Not many of us. Our prayer tends to be, Father, I need patience. Give it to me now. In the old King James Version, it's translated as long-suffering. And that becomes a frustration for us because, of course, we believe and are thoroughly convinced that we know best. We know best for our family. We know best for our career. We know best how this should go and that should go and which direction to take. And then God intervenes and takes us in an entirely different direction. And that's the point where tears and hurt and pain come, and we say, Father, Give me patience. Allow me, please, to see that fruit in my life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Kindness, 
goodness. And of course, as Christian people, we rightly seek to be kind and good whenever possible because we know what it means to have our own hearts changed and transformed. And so, kindness and goodness may be something we need to work hard at, but we can never do it in our, in our own strength as God is right there with us, shaping us, directing us, moving us forward. And if we see here an upward relationship and an outward relationship, finally, he says, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Faithfulness. One of the great things of being part of First Presbyterian is this, that we are an intergenerational church. At the 8.30 service this morning, we had a significant number of people who are 90 years old and above. We have some of you here as well, 90 and above. And that means this, year after year after year after year after decade after decade after decade, you have been faithful, faithful in prayer, faithful in growing in faith, faithful in reading the Scriptures, faithful in your desire to move forward, faithful in your appetite for the things of God, faithful in prayer and in sacrifice and participating in the life that God has called you to in this place. That is a remarkable attribute, and thank you for it. Thank you for it. There is the fruit of the Holy Spirit at work because we know this, godliness and holiness and the cultivation and nourishment of a relationship with the Holy Spirit does not come by chance or accident. It's not an arbitrary thing. It takes work. It is not easy. Faithfulness gentleness, and finally, self-control. Now, allow me to pause for a second and focus on self-control. Paul leaves it to the last of the fruits of the Spirit, but notice what else he says, because he goes on to say that the development and the nourishment of the fruits of the Spirit are conditional. Now, let me say that again. I don't want you to miss it this morning. This is one of the major secrets of growth in faith, that the development of the fruits of the Holy Spirit in our life, in the day-to-day -day messiness of our life, is conditional. And conditional on what? And that's where Paul goes next. Look at verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Notice, please, the language he uses. 
He is saying this, that those of us who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the old sinful nature. Strong language. And think of the image in your mind. Crucifixion is a painful, messy business. And what Paul is saying to the church at Galatia back then and to us this morning is this, that unless you have a radical, pitiless, merciless approach to sin in your life, you will never fully develop the fruits of the Holy Spirit. You have to crucify the old self, and you have to put it to death regularly, every day. Do you remember those wonderful words from Luke's gospel when Jesus said, if you seek to follow me, you must pick up your cross daily. And that means having a radical approach to sin and say, I am no longer willing to live there. I am no longer that person. I will not submit. I will not give in because living within me is the same moral and supernatural power that rose Christ from the dead, and I no longer have to live like that. I am putting it to death, and I am nailing it to the cross again and again and again, and I will not live like that. And that's the point where you hear the Holy Spirit quietly and gently saying to you in those dark recesses of your heart and soul, you no longer need that for where you're going. You no longer need that. All of the attraction and the enticement and enslavement of sin is dead. Put it to dead. You're in conflict with it, and you no longer have to submit to it. And then what does Paul finally say? Keep in step with the Spirit follow His calling. Live for Him. Listen to Him each day. Nourish your relationship with Him and put the past behind and no longer live there. And in summary this morning, when we submit ourselves to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, when we surrender fully to Him in that comprehensive fashion, that's when we're reminded of the words of John's gospel. My Father prunes away every branch that bears not good fruit. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for the reminder this morning from Your Word that You love us with an everlasting love, that we do not live the Christian life on our own, but that You live within us through Your Holy Spirit. Father, help us this week to be intentional 
about putting to death the sin in our lives. Enable us, strengthen us, sustain us, please. And manifest within us, please, the fruit of your Spirit at work in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have you missed a Sunday? Go to our website to watch previous broadcasts, download a podcast, or purchase a CD or DVD. And don't forget to connect with First Pres by liking us on Facebook and Twitter, signing up to receive emails, or requesting prayer online.